If you're not familiar with NAB, that's the National Association of Broadcasters. It's a great conference where 90% of what you see is going to be things I can't afford. Is VR this next thing that will disappear in the next two years? My friends in VR constantly call cardboard poisoning the well. You have to go at least for a 4K video frame to have an acceptable quality and uh, something which is comparable to what people are used today. Full Rec 2020 color, which I'm going to say that like I fully understand what that means. The rectangular approach, although it is quite an, an easy and often used approach, is, is not ideal in context of efficiency. I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the Demux Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. And I'm Phil, the director of Media Technologies Engineering at Brightcove, previously building BBC iPlayer in London. And you're listening to Demuxed, a podcast for and by engineers working with video. Demux is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. On today's episode, we're coming off of NAB a couple weeks ago, so we're going to talk about all the things that we saw there. We were lucky enough to get Reinhardt, who is at a company called Bitmovin, and he was able to do a, a talk at the last SF Video Tech Meetup uh, about 360 video, and so we're lucky enough to get him to come in for the afternoon and talk to us about their experiences there. Hey everybody, welcome to the first Demux podcast. This has probably been a year in the making, or at least since before Demux 2015. Anyway, today we've got Reinhard from Bitmovin, and he's going to tell us all about 360 video, etc. But first we wanted to talk a little bit about Demuxed in general. So if you're not familiar with it, last year was the first year of the conference, but we think that at this point it's more than just the conference, but also kind of the global community of video engineers. And we've started planning for Demux 2016 at this point. So the conference dates have been announced. We're looking at October 13th, and October 12th is going to be FOMS. And for those of you who don't know what FOMS is, that's Foundation of Open Media Standards, which is a great group of and people. And software. And software. There's a lot of S's in there. There's a lot of S's. FOMS. FOMS. <laughs> Oh God. No, but yeah, FOMS is also one of the better video experiences I've ever had. I think that's really what got me interested in standards. Because if you just hear it, it's super boring. But that's where, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but I'm pretty sure that's where like MSE and EME kind of got their first kick. Yeah, right? exactly. And this was back in probably 2011, 2012 when those conversations were kicked off. But yeah, that's where a lot of those standards get started. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're coming off of NAB. I mean, that's what, two weeks ago? So if you're not familiar with NAB, that's the National Association of Broadcasters. It's a great conference where, or, I don't know, I guess it's more of a trade show, but 90% of what you see is going to be things for a local broadcaster. Things I can't afford. <laughs> things you can't <laughs> afford, lights on top of uh, TV towers, other random satellite equipment. Uh, More drones than you can <laughs> shake a stick at. Mm. But yes, there are awesome things like drones and cool online streaming video startups, things along those lines. But since we're coming off of it so recently, I figured we at least go into what we saw and thought was cool. Did you make it to NAB this year, Reinhardt? I know I saw some of the other Bitmovin Yes, guys. actually that was my first time at NAB. And it was pretty impressive, and also we had very nice conversations there. And uh, I think I also saw a lot of you guys there, mm -hmm. especially at the meetup. So it was, was a very nice show. Yeah, that's right. You made it to the Demux party for a little while. Yes, actually yeah. I did. Cool. 
thinking about NAB every year, it's kind of the largest coming from like the online video world, kind of what we see the most is what everybody's excited about. And it's always what your customers ask you about, but it's very rarely what your customers actually want. Like I remember, you know, three years ago it was all about HEVC and everybody wanted, you know, do you support HEVC? Because mm-hmm. blah, blah. There's not a single piece of hardware that actually supported it three years ago, so like it was useless. But uh, there's always kind of that fad. And then, like two years ago, it was 3D TVs, and those kind of didn't go anywhere. And so it's yeah, it's hard to know if if what you're actually seeing there is the exciting thing will actually carry on into like being a reality. So I guess those things this year would be what 8K. We started seeing a lot of 8K stuff this year. So a million dollar TV yeah. is priced per square foot, which was quite <laughs> terrifying. Um, and I guess I guess we have to ask, you know, is VR this next thing that will disappear in the next two years? Right. I mean, it's definitely the thing that like we'll we'll get into this more later, but I think it's definitely the thing that people aren't quite ready for in terms of like wide adoption. But it's it's already kind of there, right? Like we've got. I'll give it to Wowza. I think they had the best swag of the year with their free Google Cardboard handout. But you know, I, I just don't see a lot of consumers dropping you know eight hundred, nine hundred. What is what is even like the published price of the production Oculus? Best part of you know thousand bucks, right? Yeah, and I think I think it's roughly the same for the Vive. Yeah, Vive's Vive right. well, is, is, is even more expensive, right? Yeah, because you got those dangly controllers yeah. wiggle <laughs> around, where it's time remote you throw around. <laughs> But on the hand side, you get the Samsung one for free. With the Vive? Uh, no, if you buy the cell phone, ah. then you get the Gear VR for free. If you want to plug your phone into the front of your VR headset. I've, honestly, I mean, coming from uh, my, my friends in VR, and you, you guys might have the same feeling about this at Bitmovin, but my friends that kind of are actually familiar with the VR space constantly call cardboard. Poisoning the well. Hmm. Uh, it's like ruining <laughs> VR experiences and making people hmm. hate it. And it totally turned me on to it. I mean, like <laughs> putting, you know, putting a video in my in this headset and then all of a sudden experiencing like 360 video was transformative. It was really, really cool. And it finally kind of made me believe in just the general application of 360 video online. But, th- but there is a big difference there between like what 360 video is and what VR video is, right? And that's probably where I'd assume they get caught up, right? Right. Which might be worth talking about, honestly. I don't know if we want to get into that to na- now, but well, let's let's talk a little bit more about what else we saw at NAB in general. So, I mean, like lots of 8K, lots of uh, HDR, lot of HDR, lot of talk about HDR, lots of 360 video in general, lots of HDR. And Phil, you were you were telling me about consolidation of suppliers and platforms. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think I think from my perspective, what was interesting is yeah, we saw some kind of new exciting stuff. You know, the V eight K VR, the exciting stuff this year. But I think from perspective of kind of the vendors for the encoding space, we're seeing a huge amount of consolidation right now, right? Like Amazon buying Elemental. You kind of got to ask. What that means for the bottom end of encoding, you know, Elastic Transcoder. Like we're seeing this new Telestream Cloud product, right? Which is Panda Stream rebadged now. You've got Ericsson buying Invivio, Harmonic buying Thompson. I mean, I think that was the most interesting one for me. You know, walking around the floor and seeing this this big space where Thompson were going to be, and just a sign that says, you know, go to the Harmonic booth. Uh, <laughs> That's an expensive. That's an expensive sign. That is really expensive. That's a really expensive three hundred one. <laughs> Wow. No, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot going on in, in kind of everyone kind of getting their platforms to a state, you know, where they're stable and 
consolidated into into one place now. And I, I think one of the you know really interesting ones is, is Beamer buying Vanguard. I, I don't really think any of us saw that one coming, mm-hmm. right? Like that was a surprise for everyone to get that investment and then then go buy Vanguard. It's yeah, certainly a, a really interesting place right now. And I guess that means. From our perspective, are we going to see a load of interesting innovations from all these companies next next year, next A and B, or at IBC even uh, in Amsterdam in September? So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and you know, on that note, we also talked a little bit about HEVC kind of cooling off a little bit. Do you think that's because it's actually kind of becoming a thing now, and it's less kind of the new hotness and more just a standard is is a bit of a stretch, but. I guess from my perspective, you're right. HVC was like, I mean, last year was crazy. Everyone was just talking about HVC. Everyone had their hardware encoder for HVC. <laughs> yeah, great. I can't play it anywhere, but I've got a hardware encoder for HVC. <laughs> I think in the broadcast space and like the the OTT space, we're certainly seeing some really big players making bets on HVC now, mm. which is kind of surprising for me. But I think it's looking really different in the like browser and you know phone space, right? Like. We're looking at Google now delivering VP9 by default on all Chrome, right? So I mean, that's nearly forty percent of traffic for for YouTube is VP9 now. Mm-hmm. And I think with the direction we're going with the Alliance for Open Media now, I think what we're going to see in browsers over the next twelve months versus what we're going to kind of see when you actually embed a device in someone's house is is going to be very different. So I, I guess I mean I didn't really see much talking about VP9 at NAB. There were a couple of people who had kind of some early kind of harder accelerated VP9 encoders, but nothing, nothing mind blowing. Whereas there were a lot of companies doing doing stuff for HEVC and accelerated HEVC as well. I guess that's another thing that that is becoming like really popular right now. I mean, Elemental have been doing it for years, right? GPU accelerated encoding, and they've done that in AWS as well. But I think what's interesting is now you've got things like the Intel Meteor SDK coming out, and you know, like the cost now to entry on an accelerated transcode solution is is dropping dramatically. The problem there is right, there's there's no cloud solution there yet. So that'll be interesting to watch, I guess, over the next six months, year. When we talk about VP9 now, it feels like it's kind of gone from the Google YouTube pet to actually being a legitimate delivery option for a lot of customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I wouldn't have said, you know, a year ago, 2 years ago, it was just kind of that other format. <laughs> like you had <laughs> like you know, it was you deliver MP4, H264, and you know, people kind of started talking about VP9 maybe a little bit, but now it's, it's well, legitimate. Yeah, certainly contender. when it was it was VP8 and WebM, like it was certainly the kind of like that other Bastard child codec that nobody was. Can you say that. <laughs> I think that's no rules. Rules. No yeah. rules. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, now with VP9, it's it's really the only next generation codec that's available in the browser. Like there are no other options. So if you're you're really hurting for bandwidth savings, like that is the obvious solution, the only solution currently. So makes a lot of sense. And hardware. I mean, you talk to the YouTube guys, and yeah, they're kind of able to. Bully, not bully. Bully <laughs> might Good not word. be the right word, there. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're allowed to throw like they can throw the Google weight around into. If you want to put this YouTube badge on your TV, then you have to support VP9, and like that's that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the important thing there is, you know, when you look at the Alliance for Open Media, you've got not only Google throwing the weight behind it, you've got you know. 
beep, Netflix, you name it, they're, they're throwing their weight behind this AV1 codec, which that's going to be a, a big deal, right? I think the interesting thing with VP9 is uh, when you start looking at some of the, the stuff that's coming out around doing VP9 in an FMP4 container, the spec that Netflix put out recently, from what I understand, that's going into kind of Chrome Canary pretty soon. So, you know, we're kind of going to get to a place where you don't actually even need WebM packaging to deliver VP9. So that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, Netflix put out a spec. It looks like that's what Netflix are doing in their kind of intermediary storage. Huh. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That on you guys' radar? We recently uh, went for HOEC, but I think uh, VP9 definitely makes sense uh, also for web-based streaming, especially if you, if you consider that the majority of your users are using Google Chrome, and then it might be a good trade-off to go for an, a second encoding and have nevertheless a lot of bandwidth savings with that. I think something really interesting is that when you look at the, the sort of timelines of the AE, AOM guys are talking about is is so aggressive, right? Like they're talking about a, a bitstream freeze by the end of the year, and you know a filters freeze middle of next year. Which you know that that's really aggressive. Like I don't think the the follow up to HEVC is going to be anywhere near that timeline, which I think is a an interesting thing. And I, I don't know if that that pushes MPEG in a particular direction about how they go post HEVC or what that means. So. Was there a Lytro booth? Did I just miss the Lytro booth at any of these? I hear there was. Did you see it? They, well, they did a talk, uh, which uh, was really good. Okay. Um, I think Zach went to their presentation and got kind of hands on, had a chat with their guys, and said it's some really cool looking stuff. And I think that space is really, really interesting right now, actually, the, uh, the light field optics space, right? I was on an MPEG working group the other week, and they're working you know, from two perspectives. On building, you know, light field storage solutions because you know one of the big problems with this new Lytro camera is right it, it outputs a heck of a lot of data, <laughs> you know, racks and racks and racks of SSDs to to record anything of it. And there's actually a lot of work going on to standardize how we record and compress, you know, light field data. So mm. that's going to be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Do you guys see anything extra special in the HDR front? I mean, because that's also like aside from. HEVC like last year, HDR felt like the non VR buzzword mm. this year, mm-hmm. including like what's the people that produce the laser projector? Projector, the Christie, Christie. Oh, that's yeah. yeah, their mm-hmm. demo was that uh, it was like a hockey hockey field, wasn't it? No, no, no. Is they it, had they had a full on uh, same booth, same booth, same booth. Yeah. Okay, they, they had a full on movie theater, like a like a fifteen seat movie theater where they showed off their HDR laser projectors. And it was honestly pretty phenomenal. They would show you like a this is what black looks like on a normal projector, and it's kind of gray. And like, this is what black looks like in our projector, and it was like just pitch black. Like they're like they had to explain black. that they hadn't just turned <laughs> off the projector. It was like yeah, I was impressed. Once you go full, black, full rec twenty twenty color, which I'm going to say that like I fully understand what that means. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> all the twenty twenties. <laughs> My vision's twenty twenty. Uh, is that the same thing? <laughs> My other favorite HDR, this was, I would love to be the marketing person that okayed this because I know they're giggling the whole time, (laughs) but I'm standing there looking at this HDR television on the outside of somebody's booth and it's glorious and there's this majestic eagle sitting on a post and all of a sudden it kind of jumps backwards and 
like a giant stream of poop flies out the back <laughs> and another eagle enters the scene. But for a solid, you know, it's in super slow motion. So for a solid like second and a half, there's just this giant white stream coming out of the back of this eagle. In full 8K. Full 8K <laughs> HDR. Yeah, it so was the end of uh, Big Book Bunny <laughs> all over again. Mm. Except way more majestic and sad at the same time. <laughs> I think I think one of the best uh, HDR demos I saw was actually Elementals. Uh, they had a really good side by side. I don't know where they got the footage from. It was a like a fire tosser and fire eater. It was really really visually impressive. Like the fire really brought it out well. I think last year the best HDR demo I saw was actually, believe it or not, the Lego Movie. Hmm. It's so colorful and so bright that it looks great in HDR. <laughs> hmm. And I think that was uh, Dolby showing that off in, Do- in Dolby Vision last year. So, any anybody else see anything uh, other than drones, which are always cool? Mm. Well, so like many drones. Some, so some guys that are trying drones. to pitch broadcasters to, you know, would this be interesting to you guys to broadcast drone racing? And so they're pitching <laughs> uh, first-person video drone racing. Right, that was a hard sell. Yeah. <laughs> is this cool? Yeah, is this cool, guys? Like, yeah, okay. I think that's cool when it includes 360 cameras on top of them, right? Mm-hmm. And you can just look around. That's going to be so nauseating. <laughs> no, I refuse. <laughs> I played that stupid space game with the Oculus DK1, and it was I was sick for a week and a half. <laughs> I, I, I did get hands on with. Uh, I, I was happy because I managed to. I, I didn't get much time on the floor this year, but I did manage to get hands on with both the Rift production model and the Vive production model, which was. Great! Like I was really happy to actually be able to get hands on with those because my pockets don't stretch to those as toys, unfortunately. No. And there's also what was the what was that 360 camera that's actually it was actually pretty impressive. It was kind oh, of yeah. a square. Uh, you showed it to me. It's about I, I totally two thousand dollars. You too. The <laughs> Nokia one. Say what? Are you talking about the Nokia? The also? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah well, that, there's that one as well. That's not the one I sent you. Oh, okay. The Nokia one's really cool as well. I like that one. Oh, I can't remember what it was. I mean, this this segues nicely into just kind of the general buzz about 360 because I do think that that was, I mean, you know, we walked by the Wowza booth and we were talking to some of the Wowza guys and they're like, yeah, you know, we don't like we're not really doing anything special for 360. <laughs> we're just delivering video, and it just happens to be flattened onto a plane. Yeah, yeah, the equirectangular. Yeah, so they're talking. You know, all, all we do is just deliver that, and then you can play it back however you want, but. They were still giving out cardboard headsets and talking about VR, like it was like a core competency, just because that's what everybody wanted to hear. Like I don't know what what did you guys see that was innovative on that front, rather than just what Wow's is doing was cool. It's just like it, there was nothing out of their kind of traditional offering. It was just look, you can use this to deliver a VR video. So. Yeah, what were you guys seeing on that front? Okay, so I saw two VR demos there, and that actually kind of surprised me that I wasn't able to like interact with more. Maybe I wasn't trying hard enough, but there was the one where it was like 50 people sitting in different chairs, spinning around in the chairs, and it looked like just, you know... Oh, the VR cattle grazing. The cattle grazing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got in line, you sat in a chair, and then people just looking off in random directions. It looked really kind of freaky to see. Honestly, it made me... <laughs> It made me question if VR could ever take off because that's what we look like when we're <laughs> VR. It's a bunch of idiots with with a giant block on their face, spinning around in chairs, staring off into different. Yeah, but then we happily got in line and, and oh, tried did it. Out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't help but think as I was spinning in the chair, looking at the ground in the sky, what I looked like to everybody else. That was. Mm. 
That was actually one of my favorite uh, VR things about NAB was taking videos of people with VR goggles <laughs> on. They have so many videos and like guys just swizzing around going, wow, look at this. Oh, it's over here. No, it's over here. Hey. Do you guys see this? No, literally. You're the only one that can see this. <laughs> I mean, there is there's something incredibly disconcerting about standing at a booth waiting in line to play with some headset, and the guy just turns around and faces you like he's staring at you, but he's actually looking at you know, <laughs> looking God knows what. On the, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see the uh, Little Red Riding Hood demo? No, I think that no. was the, actually the demo from the Nokia camera. They shot like this uh, Little Red Riding Hood sort of sketch where it was a girl in the woods, you know, a little red dress and kind of, and you were kind of immersed in the middle of it and you kind of looked around and the wolf was there and it's, it's quite cool. It's certainly visually, it was really well shot and the resolution was really high. You know, it looked great on the headset, so I was very impressed with it. A couple of guys came to the booth, came past the booth and asked me to have a look at some VR stuff they were working on and it was really interesting. Um, the concept is, You've often got a, a huge catalog of content, right? And your content isn't going to be 3D overwhelmingly. Like, like if you're a, a traditional broadcast, you probably don't have a lot of you know VR content. But what their concept was was they would kind of put you in a virtual room to watch 2D content. Mm-hmm. So like you're put into this like virtual theater where there's people like sat next to you and stuff, <laughs> all to watch this like virtu- like 2D content on a big screen. In a 3D world, it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I would totally do that on an airplane, though. <laughs> but I found out. So, Reinhardt, you might be able to tell us a little bit more about this phenomenon in general. But I was asking somebody I know from the Oculus team about that. I was like, all I really want to do is put a headset on on an airplane and pretend I'm in a movie theater. You can even have people walking in front of me with popcorn for all I care. <laughs> but like, big movie theater experience on a plane. With a headset on, and I have no idea that there's you know a, a nine month old screaming behind me. I'm just in the movie theater, right? Like that sounds awesome. And he, he was explaining that apparently when you're flying and the plane turns, you actually end up kind of turning your head slowly until you're <laughs> until you're kind of looking at the bottom right hand corner, you know, or whatever whatever direction <laughs> the plane's turning. So, but you don't even realize you're doing it until all of a sudden you're kind of. You know, facing the opposite direction <laughs> after 20 minutes of watching this movie and so. staring at your neighbor. <laughs> well, I think that would be fun. <laughs> I would love to see that. Yeah, I want everyone else to wear the 3D headset so I can watch this happening. <laughs> but actually, it's a good idea to have those things uh, on plane. I guess the question there is when it comes to like recentering content, and I, I guess this whole thing segues segues nicely into um, what exactly. You know, what what kind of you guys see as your special sauce um, at Bitmovin? Because you know, from the outsider's perspective, what I know about Bitmovin is you guys have a player, like particularly for segmented streaming, adaptive bitrate streaming, and you guys have an encoded API once again focused on kind of adaptive bitrate content and segmented outputs. But I had no idea that you guys were focused so much on VR until actually so we started talking about the meetup last month. And just for reference, video should be up soon on YouTube in general. But um, staring at me as he says that, knowing <laughs> that I've got the only copy of it all. <laughs> uh, but Reinhardt spoke at uh, the, I guess that was April. April, yeah. April SF Video meetup, which if you aren't familiar, sfvideo.org, last Thursday of every month. But yeah, so he, he talked about 360 video and, and delivery and playback at the last meetup. And before we start planning this, I had no idea that you guys were kind of focused on that. So like what made you guys decide to go down that route initially? Yeah, you're right. We we are coming out of uh, encoding and, and player like uh, service 
but it was one of our last hackathons in in 2015 where one of our engineers decided oh let's go for a plugin so we can stream uh, 360 degree content with our player and that's where it all started and uh, things evolved and we saw a lot of interest in the in the industry not that um, people are using it too much into production but uh, they like to know that you can deliver that and uh, maybe for a good application in the near future that they are ready. And that's exactly w what we are doing now. So we get ready for, for fancy applications, which are not fully there yet. We briefly spoke about the, the airplane stuff. Actually, I cannot see people sitting in their living rooms uh, <laughs> with VR devices uh, on their heads and, and, and doing things. But uh, there might be some killer application coming soon. So, really, right now, what you guys see it as is more of a, um, I guess, like a conversation starter, right? Like, hey, look at this VR product we have. Also, check out the stuff that you actually would use in production right now. <laughs> yes, so it's it's really a door opener. I mean, we had some uh, live streams in this context already, which are more or less production. But uh, to be honest, yeah, it's uh, things you you want to talk about and people want to hear and people want to make sure you're ready for it. Uh, but it's not so much into production right now. So, what do you see as kind of the blocker? Let's, let's pretend that everybody does have an Oculus or uh, Gear VR, and they want to watch 360 content in their living room, like right now, up to the headset, what would you say is, like, what do you see as kind of the current blocker for that being? I think that there's simply not too much content available right now. It's, it's hard to record it. And uh, also expensive to do that in a in a really good quality, and up to now, uh, not too many services are having their majority of content in in 360 degrees. So I think we are more or less uh, waiting on the on the studios to produce something. I mean, is is bandwidth going to be a problem here? Because obviously, like we discussed at the meetup, you've got a a, a very big amount of data coming down, but you know the viewport is only a, a small segment of that generally, and you know. I guess we had a lengthy conversation about you know optimizations you can make about only sending pieces of video, but you know then if someone looks left or right quickly, you know it's difficult to then have to quickly switch out to those and maybe you know stream the middle of it at a lower at a higher quality and you know then kind of radiate out in lower qualities. But you know I think realistically, right, we've got to be talking about you know 4K video to get a good 3D experience, mm. right? And right. is is that going to be a blocker coming up? Definitely. So as you mentioned, you have to go at least for a 4K video frame to have. An an acceptable quality and uh, something which is comparable to what people are used today, and that's hard to deliver, especially if your connection is is not good enough. I mean, the first major step was to combine the VR and 360 degree video topic with adaptive streaming, which at least provides you with a with a smooth video consumption also for low bandwidth uh, channels, but. As you mentioned, there are a lot of things which uh, have to be addressed in, in context of efficiency. Uh, yeah, we are we are streaming the entire frame and just making use of a very small viewport, uh, which is or which I would consider as a, a huge uh, loss of bandwidth. So there are topics coming up in in the future we want to address, and I think by by mid to to late 2016 we will see a lot of going on in in context of efficiency in the VR and 360 degree space. So we we touched on light field cameras earlier, and I think we even talked a little bit about it during the question and answer session of the meetup. But 
especially as somebody that only vaguely even knows what a light field is, uh, <laughs> the math is amazing. <laughs> uh, how does that play into what we're talking about right now? I mean, is that only for for CG generated, like for yeah? It might CG even be content? worth like taking a step back. Like I know when I first started learning about the side of the space, like the difference between three sixty video and VR was was not very clear. I don't know. Would you be uh, interested in kind of talking to the differences? Yeah, sure. Uh, there is a difference, but nobody is mentioning that. So <laughs> they all say VR, and uh, everyone is good. But uh, actually, the, the 360 degree video is is something which exists in in real life. So that's the difference to VR. VR is, is, is a virtual space which is uh, totally designed by the computer, for instance, and uh, the 360 degree video is is an actual recording of the real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the ways I think about it is um, with 360 video, it's kind of like a big panorama, like a 360 panorama, and say I'm watching the movie and I look down by bending my neck, right? Say I'm looking at the horizon and I bend my neck down to look down, when I look down, I'm still looking at the horizon, right? Because the the entire video is actually moving with me there. Does that sound right? And then with VR, it's actually where if I move my head side to side, up and down, it's it's as more as if I'm actually in the the space itself, and you can experience that. Yes, the, the, that's right. It, it's it's a whole different experience, I would say. Yeah. So it it feels more like you're really in there. I guess I, I'm probably wrong about the actually looking down on the 360 video, right? Like you would still look down. You would still look down, yeah. You would if see you the floor. Tilted your head to the right, you're still in a fixed point. Yeah. So I think okay. that's that's your head's kind of fixed and like it wobbles around on its own axis, right? Right. But you're not gonna you're not gonna look differently at an object, right? You can't like look behind an object or look look to the side of an object, mm-hmm. right? If you throw caution to the wind and sprint ahead. You only have the viewport of the of the camera, which was recording the scene. So you, you can't change uh, your position in the video. You you can only move around uh, your head, but the position will will stay fixed. So somebody somebody explained to me just a little bit about how, say you had a recording from a, a say you spent the metric crap ton of money that you would need for three sixty degree Lytro recording. You still you get a little bit of perspective shift because of the light. Like, how exactly does that work? <laughs> we might have to ask Lightro for that. To be honest, <laughs> really should have invited Lightro wrong to this thing. Right? <laughs> I think the camera that they were talking about NAB. It's it's like a one meter by one meter sphere, and it's meant for actual like VR recording. So when we're talking about three sixty video, like you were saying, your head is in one place and you can't actually move within the space, right? But their camera like takes in all of the light field information and within that like one meter by one meter space, so you at least have that amount of room that you can move around. I didn't try it out myself, but I gotta imagine that there's some there's a big difference there between 360 video and actually being able to feel like you're really there in the space. I don't know. That'd be really interesting to try out. Yeah, and I think I think really what Lytro more going going at right now is allowing decisions later in the production chain, right? Like mm. Lytro's objective now as as far as I'm aware, you know, as far as what they talked about on NAB is to make decisions later in the production chain, right? For the editor to say, actually I didn't really want the camera there. I wanted it, you know, six inches to the left or six inches to the right and I would have got a better kind of angle on what I saw. Mm. Like I, I think they're very much focused in that area right now rather than, you know, being in a space where you can replicate that in a, B, in a VR or you know 360 headset I think that's that's way down the chain like way 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 down the chain like like I said you know with MPEG and others talking about compression standards for this stuff is is going to be 
a long time before we can realistically see a place where you can stream that information and be able to move your head. So yeah, I mean, every everything I've heard about in terms of bandwidth, like delivery, we're talking like three gigs a frame or something <laughs> crazy like that for some of the some of the Lytro content. Like that's call me crazy, but I don't know if that's necessarily tenable. Uh, <laughs> Storage is getting cheaper. That's what we always say, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, about that. <laughs> Considering I can't get a Google Hangout to work properly for for thirty minutes at a time uh, <laughs> on like a hundred meg connection, I'm, I'm skeptical. Yeah, it's all that rubbish VP9 encoding. <laughs> <laughs> but I am I am curious. I mean, this this has kind of been a, a constant thing, and we touched on this really briefly before. But being able to efficiently deliver this stuff, you know, and you, you talk about wasted viewport, or you, since you're only using this tiny tiny section of the video that you're actually looking at at any given time, you know, you you mentioned this at the meetup, kind of your your plans. But why don't you talk to us a little bit about? Wins that you see in terms of uh, efficiency and delivery, and and how does you know kind of your the Bitmovin forte of of adapted bitrate and segmented streaming fit into that? Yeah, um, one obvious uh, fit is uh, as you mentioned the the adaptation to the bandwidth uh, in context of different quality layers. So that's what we we already do. Another obvious thing is uh, to have a better codec. Which we already talked about. So having HAVC or VP9 would help a lot, actually. And then it, it comes to the point uh, where you want to deliver only that what's really f- used by the by the viewer. So imagine the entire rectangular video, so the, the flat video of the entire sphere, and uh, the viewport is only a small fraction out of that. And if we just uh, would deliver this small fraction, uh, it would be a huge of bandwidth savings. But uh, once the user moves uh, left or right, then it would be black, which is not the best experience. So it would also be necessary to deliver parts of the frame on the very next and on the very right to the user, uh, maybe in a lower quality, but if he or she turns, at least there is a picture, and then adopt to the movement of the user as well. I guess that starts to come down to how good the player is, right? About how quickly it can adapt and how quickly you can jump up bit rates, right? And, and that gets interesting. So that has interesting knock-on effects in your encoding, right? You know, traditionally a rendition switch happens on a you know a gop interval, right? So, you know, to be able to rendition switch quickly to someone turning their heads actually has knock-on effects right down the encoding chain, right? Yeah, that, that's that's right. So there is definitely the majority of the work has to be done on the player side and will be more complex. Yeah, we we are not there yet. Uh, I think nobody is, but that's definitely the way to go. Does 360 video have the same frame rate issue as VR video in the sense that, like as I've heard it, VR video requires at least 120 frames per second to make sure people aren't getting sick, right? As they turn their heads quickly and the the frame needs to catch up, like that's that's what I've heard is like essentially the minimum to prevent sickness, right? Does that go for 360 video too? I've already heard that, but uh, actually for 360 degree video, I, I think if you go for 60 frames per second, it, it's totally fine. At least I'm, I haven't been sick for, okay. for that reason. When you're taking the the picture, so you said equirectangular? Yes. So when you're flatting it like that, do you lose any of the detail around the edges of the the flat, the plain video? It's not that you you lose information. Uh, it's more that uh, there is a redundant information on the top and uh, on the lower part of the of the frame. Mm. So, like uh, as a landscape, where you see the north and south pole uh, much bigger as as it, as it really is. So you add some kind of information you, you wouldn't need. So also the equirectangular approach 
although it is quite an, an easy and often used approach, is is not ideal in context of of efficiency. So we talked a bit at the meetup about DRM and DRM challenges when it comes to 360 VR VR content. Can you talk a bit more about that and, and why that's so much of a challenge right now? Yeah, sure. So uh, we also talked about uh, internally uh, a demonstration at NAB with DRM protected content for 360 degree video because it's a logical next step and studios will want to protect the content uh, once they are in a phase where they can make money out of it. And uh, actually to achieve that uh, with our solution you would have to break the DRM because uh, what we do right now and uh, what most of the companies are doing is that we take the information of the decoded frame and render it on top of the actual video player uh, using WebGL. But uh, that uh, requires that you get that, those decoded information and uh, DRM is exactly in place to prevent that. So we have to come up with uh, new approaches for that and also align the industry and uh, talk to browser vendors what we can do and how we can establish a more or less standardized way to stream 360 degree videos and VR content with DRM protection. I think that sounds like a, a great topic for FOMS, right? Actually, yeah. Definitely. That's a great breakout group stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we are very happy to collaborate and uh, of course we cannot do that on our own. And to get some, some partners aligned, that would be great. October 12th, put on your calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Noticed. <laughs> And then I think there's a great conference happening afterwards. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Again, October 13th, DMUX 2016, hosted by Crunchyroll. So it'll be near the Westfield Mall. I always forget what the name of the mall is, but yeah, Westfield Mall, um, basically. In San Francisco. In San Francisco. That's probably an, that's probably <laughs> that's an probably important note to make. Yeah. Uh, just go to any Westfield Mall that's near you. Uh, <laughs> Ask for Demuxed, they'll know what you're talking about. Yeah, if you're doing good for the right one, we'll actually just give you a 360 headset and you can join from there. Yeah, you go to elevator uh, four and three quarters and then. Uh, <laughs> elevator four and three quarters. It's a Harry Potter joke. I got it, I got it. <laughs> That's a station, it's a platform. Yeah. <laughs> Who has trains anymore anyway? Whoa. <laughs> just because your trains don't work in this country, I don't know. Okay, well, I think we're uh, I think we're coming up on our on our time here, but uh, just wanted to thank Reinhardt for coming out. I mean, how, how much longer are you in San Francisco for? Uh, thanks very much for the invitation, and uh, I will leave um, on Friday actually, so only two more days left, and I'm glad it worked out. Great, I'm so glad we could have you by uh, mm-hmm. while you're in town. But uh, thanks again for speaking at the conference again, or at the meetup rather. Who knows about the conference? We'll see. <laughs> Don't forget uh, to put your submissions for papers in, guys. Yeah, well. Yeah, by the time we publish this, uh, that should be online, right? Uh, there you go. Have you not done that yet? <laughs> yes. If you're interested, um, we should have the meetup talk from Reinhardt at SF Video up on YouTube here within the next, I'm going to say week or so, to put a little, play a little fire in Phil's, it's, uh, Phil's bottom. It's awkward. <laughs> so yeah, keep an eye out and uh, hope to see everybody at DMUX 2016. That's all we have for today, but as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree, so please reach out on Twitter at Demuxed. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 